This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Kia Tefano, friends. Welcome to the AA Live radio show. This is the show that explores the idea behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Look, it's summer here, summer holiday season here in New Zealand, so I am your only host today, and it is an absolute pleasure to be here. I'd like to start off the program today with our serenity prayer. So those that wish, please join in. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Welcome, folks, again. I'm just going to run through our uh, AA or preamble, what it is, what it is not, etc. So Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. It does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And I'd just like to add in that uh, any opinions and talk that I have this evening is purely mine. It uh, is not necessarily the opinions of those of uh, AA as a whole. So, yeah, let's keep that to its natural. And I'm going to introduce today's daily reflection. So we're looking at January the 25th. What we need, each other. AA is really saying to every serious drinker, You are an AA member if you say so. Nobody can keep you out. That's from our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 139. For years, when I reflected on Tradition 3, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking, I thought it valuable only to newcomers. It was their guarantee that no one could bar them from AA Today, I feel enduring gratitude for the spiritual development the tradition has brought me. I don't seek out people obviously different from myself. Tradition three, concentrating on the one way I am similar to others, brought me to know and help every kind of alcoholic, just as they have helped me. Charlotte, the atheist, showed me higher standards of ethics and honour. Clay, of another race, taught me patience. Winslow, who was gay, led me by example into true compassion. Young Megan says that seeing me at meetings, sober, 30 years, keeps her coming back. Tradition three ensured that we would get what we need, each other. And I have to say... While that sounds a little bit antiquated, it is true. We uh, just see each other as uh, alcoholics trying to recover. So the door is always open. 
um, people come and go and, uh, yeah, there's no judgment, which is one of the things that I really love about being an AA, uh, finding empathy and compassion for others, not just myself, and finding a level of acceptance of other people that really uh, enlightens your life or, if not enlightens, lightens the load. But you're listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. Now, I'm enjoying the start of this year, personally, as our AA starts off with step one, which I'm going to read the start of from our book, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Now, just keep in mind, folks, that these were written back in the late 1930s, worship well, actually about 1935, um, by two alcoholics who met. Um, one was a well-known surgeon and the other a New York broker. Um, both were severe cases of alcoholism and they became the founders of the AA Fellowship. And so when this was written, you may think the language uh, can come across as a little bit old-fashioned. But our step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And this is followed by who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us. No other kind of bankruptcy is like this one. Alcohol now becomes the rapacious creditor. It bleeds us of all self-sufficiency and all will to resist its demands. Once the stark fact is accepted, our bankruptcy as going human concerns is complete. But upon entering AA, we soon take quite another view of this absolute humiliation. We perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first steps towards liberation and strength. Our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. We know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. Until he so stumbles upon himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Of real happiness, he will find none at all. Proved beyond doubt by any immense experience, this is one of the facts of AA life. The principles that we shall find no enduring strength until we first admit complete defeat is the main taproot from which our whole society has sprung and flowered. When first challenged to admit defeat, most of us revolted. We had approached AA expecting to be taught self-confidence. Then, when we had been told that so far as alcohol was concerned, self-confidence was no good whatever. In fact, it was a total liability. Our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession, so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. There was, they said, no such thing as the personal conquest of this compulsion to the unaided will. 
or by the unaided will, I should say, sorry, relentlessly deepening our dilemma. Our sponsors pointed out our increasing sensitivity to alcohol, an allergy, they called it. The tyrant alcohol wielded a double-edged sword over us. First, we were smitten by an insane urge that condemned us to go on drinking, and then by an allergy of the body that ensured we would ultimately destroy ourselves in the process. Few indeed were those who, so assailed, had ever won through in single-handed combat. It was a statistical fact that alcoholics almost never recovered on their own resources, and this had been true, apparently, ever since man had first crushed grapes. I have to say for myself that that is definitely true. In all, I remember my first drink, and I remember the feeling of it, And it removed the pain that I was feeling and the trauma. And even though it didn't taste good, I wanted more. So there you go. That's the madness of it, isn't it? That is the rapacious creditor starting out. And I kept going. And through... All my years of drinking, there was many times when I thought I would stop and I would try and do it with willpower. And there were times when I did stop, but not well. I didn't stop with any form of peace or or serenity in my mind, that's for sure. I found it now, but I must say the only way I found it was through AA. And boy, am I grateful for that. It has been... uh, Yeah, it's been a change of life, and I am now living my second life. I have to say, folks, I am truly grateful. I never thought this could happen. I see the newbies come in, and I'm still a newbie in that sense, you know, every day, one day at a time. But I see them come in, and I think if only you could live in my shoes for an hour today, then maybe you could see what the fight was worth. And anyway, we're going to move on to some music. So uh, enjoy this little break before we come back and start our next side. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have an echo in so much space. And when you're out there without care, yeah, I was out of Mm. Does that make me crazy? 
friend Evelyn. She is one of the wonderful humans I've met during my time here in AA. She was kind enough enough to let me record a chat. We uh, caught up about her life and uh, we talked about how alcohol was introduced into her life and the effects that uh, this has had on her. And eventually she found herself powerless over alcohol. Uh, Her life had become unmanageable. And uh, I'd like you to listen to her story of uh, experience, recovery and strength and hope. And hope is a big one for her, I believe. So, yeah, enjoy this interview with Evelyn. Hello, folks. I am sitting in my vehicle with Evelyn today who is going to uh, kindly share her story with us. I love listening to this woman talk at meetings so I'm looking forward to this interview and uh, being able to hear her story a bit more. So need I say more? Hello. Hi. Kia ora, how are you? You're good, how are you? I'm very good. She's a little <laughs> nervous, folks, but let's get into this. So tell me, Evelyn, how was your introduction to alcohol? What was your introduction to it? Um, well, growing up, it was always around. You know, I remember my father always always drinking. My mother went through a, a period when I was um, at primary school where I remember her drinking quite heavily. When um like I remember my um my grandmother when I was like three or four, maybe started when I was three or four, she'd make me um these uh, drinks called Pink Ladies, so it's like lemonade with a little bit of with a dash of port to make it go pink. So I was introduced to alcohol. A dash, sorry, a dash of port, not yeah. not a little bit of raspberry cordial. No, <laughs> I love it. No, a dash of port. Yeah. So the, the the introduction to alcohol at a young age, but I mean sensibly. You know, but it wasn't very sensible the first time that I was actually given alcohol to drink liber- liberally. My brother came home from the pub. I, actually, I think he might have been babysitting us, actually, and he's five years older than me. And um, yeah, he came home from the pub and he threw a four pack of these Russian vodka RTD, really large cans, the premixer ones. Right. Yeah, he gave me four of those. And he was just like, you're not going to bed till you finish them. Um, I remember... How not, old were you? I was 11. Yeah, I, I remember not really enjoying it very much. Yeah. And I remember going to school the next day feeling horrid and going to the sick bay and sleeping all day. 
just because I said to them, I just don't feel well. Yeah, and maybe a year or two later, um, I got my boy, my, sorry, my, my brother's girlfriend to buy me a six pack of cruisers. They were the pink ones. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I drank all, all six of those in very quick succession and was very sick. And my mother was not impressed with my brother or his girlfriend. So yeah, that, that was my introduction to alcohol was getting it and drinking to excess right from the start. And so did you continue drinking from that stage? Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't really like, you know, source it out all the time, but when I knew that I was going to be drinking, I would make sure that it was to excess. Uh, a friend and I, I think I was like maybe 14, a friend and I um snuck out at night and she had grabbed a bottle of wine from her parents. It was the first time me trying wine and it was just a just a normal white still wine and it tasted disgusting like it was actually foul I remember like trying it for the first time and I was just like just yeah just got it in me and um blacked out that night that was probably like my fourth or fifth time drinking right yeah so like most of us I don't know well I shouldn't say like most of us myself personally I wasn't an everyday drinker straight away is that something that built for you yeah absolutely um, I was not a, no, by, by no means an everyday drinker. Definitely what you would just class as a binge drinker. Right. Which is why I never thought, you know, that I was an alcoholic right up until the very end. I just, I thought I was a binge drinker. And that's okay because that's very um, uh, socially acceptable in New Zealand. Yeah. Did you feel a peer pressure for drinking? Uh, no. Not at all. No. Just something that you, when you you hit your, we call it rock bottom. Yep. Were you uh, somebody who felt that alcohol was necessary every day in your life, or were you still binge drinking? Um, so I came into AA off the back of a ten day bender, and I um I was at the point where I was trying to hold down a job. I was trying to fulfill family and social commitments, but every night for like, for like 10 days, I drank to excessive blackout. And I couldn't control myself. I would say to myself, you know, three days in, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. Someone, you know, like we went out for dinner, so I decided to buy... A, um, a jug of cider to share at the the table with everyone, which led to me drinking that jug of cider and then drinking another jug of cider and then going past the bottle store on the way home. You know, so it's like um, all these situations engineered themselves to have alcohol in them. Yes, we yeah, uh, well yeah, I I used to tend to do that too. It was uh, I would work. I mean, I worked within the industry. Mm. Uh, to help that did you ever find yourself going and, and oh, changing your lifestyle to be able to fit that all into your lifestyle oh, so to speak definitely hospitality worker background mm. so it was inevitable like I used to work behind the bar so I could drink for free you know like that's what it was and in, in hospi true hospitality um, style we would have a big night at the end of it <laughs> yeah. and it, with hospitality 
it sets you up quite poorly for being able to binge drink any day of the week because you don't know when your days off are. So you might have a Tuesday off, so you have a big night on the Monday, but you're still going to have a big night on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday because that's what everyone else is doing who works their Monday to Friday 9 to 5. Yeah, that's true. You get to tend to get get caught up in that little circle, isn't it? When um, and did you find yourself? Or what 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 was your journey to finding your rock bottom? Um, I was there was an an accident, and um, I ended up being told that I couldn't work, and so I could drink as much as I wanted to. So I would always use um work, my fitness, um, you know, just, I would use anything as an excuse to try and control my drinking. Like I deliberately nominate myself to be the sober driver so that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, only have to have like a couple of drinks in the situation, you know, so I'd, I'd rather not drink at all than have to try and only drink a certain amount. So you binge drinking, I always wanted to drink to excess. I always wanted to get that that blackout, that oblivion. So I would, um, you know, go through spells of where I'd really focus on my fitness for six months or I would use, you know, being in a relationship as an excuse or studying was a really good one as well because I'm useless on a hangover to do anything, especially study. So I use those things as a control mechanism and then when you take away that control mechanism, I could just drink as much as I wanted. Whenever I wanted, I mean, like, obviously, if I had had the money and stuff like that. But, yeah, things went downhill very rapidly over nine months to the point where I'd wake up and start drinking. And I never thought that I would do that. But I I justified it and, you know, I was in denial to myself about being an alcoholic because I was like, I'm too young. You know, I'm not homeless. I don't drink out of a paper bag. I don't have, you know, I I don't drink meths. Um, but the point is, is that I couldn't get through a day without having alcohol in my system at the end. Yeah. Do you see that as, do you see alcoholism as a family disease? It is on both sides of my family. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So do you ever look at it and say to yourself, well, that was inevitable? <laughs> um, Did you ever think it would get you? I honestly, no, I was in denial because I wasn't the same as those who are related to me. You know, I always thought that I was different to them, you know, Um, mostly because, you know, uh, all the um, drinkers in my family are all males. Right. So I thought maybe because I'm a female, I'm immune to that. And I hadn't had the same life experiences that they would have, you know, because some of it. No, it's interesting when you think that my where I was going with that was that we see people who are alcoholics in our family. I, I, my family has has got a history of it as well. Mine also were all males, and I never thought, ah, you know, that's not going to be me. But also, you go through a stage where you're not drinking the same as them, so you don't think that you are. But there are so many different um, ways of drinking and being an alcoholic. Mm. Like you said, it's not the brown paper bag. No. It's uh, it's, um, 
it's binge drinking, it's getting up every day, it's maybe five o'clock, you're counting down till five o'clock, mm. oh, I want, I yeah. want, I want. I think that the biggest thing is, is that I knew that I had a problem with alcohol when I couldn't only have one drink. Yes. You know, like I would deliberately not drink so that I didn't have to sit with that uncomfortable feeling of knowing that I could only have two drinks out at dinner and then I had to drive home. You know, I, I'd rather be that screaming banshee at the end of the table who's made a complete <laughs> and utter idiot of themselves because they've drank two bottles of wine at the BYO than only having a glass of wine. Oh, God, that sounds horrible, only having a glass of wine. Well, I, look, I still, even um, through my recovery, I still see things in movies and stuff where I see uh, somebody puts a character, might put the half glass of wine down and, and I watch how they mm. drink in the movie store and I think, oh, that's just mad, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. drinking was always to excess. Yeah. It, it did not matter even if I wanted to not yeah. drink to excess. <laughs> it is that craving, it's the insanity of that craving, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it comes at us like a, like a steam train. Yeah, and also like the, the obsession of um, when am I going to drink next? How much am I going to drink? It, to, to, honestly, it was less about that the event of drinking. It was more about what I was going to drink, you know, and how much I was going to drink. It, yeah, and that's very selfish because it, it becomes less about, you know, the, the, the event that you're going to be going to and it just... To, to a point where you don't want to go to events, you just want to drink at home by yourself. Yeah, it becomes quite isolating, doesn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, financially restraining, mm-hmm. isolating from yeah. humans. Yeah, it's not, not uh, that's not a pretty journey at all. I certainly yeah. um, was a very lonely person um, by the time I walked into the rooms. Mm. But yeah, I find it interesting how you've identified. It wasn't about the social event that you went to. Mm. It wasn't about catching up with the people. Mm. It was actually noticing that it was, how can I get the money? What am I going to have? How much am I going to have? And just fulfilling that need Mm. Mm -hmm. rather than the wonderful social occasion of catching up with the people. Absolutely, because if you think about it, like I've already said that I would use, you know, like – my work or or study as a control mechanism mm. so then there would be like this anticipation for myself where I haven't been able to drink to excess for a couple of weeks so there's also that anticipation that that build up so yeah which just compounds everything as well yeah so it's an amazing journey um to get to mm. and I think uh, one of the amazing things is recognizing it so I admire the fact that you even recognized it um, for those that don't know, Evelyn is is not uh, an older soul like myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she has managed to find this and learn this about herself at at a, a well. I wish I had learned it at your age. Well, <laughs> I guess what what happened is I um the the day I ended up going to AA, I woke up and it was um exactly one month before my 30th birthday right and I I woke up that morning still pissed looked in the mirror and I remember thinking to myself if you don't do something soon you're gonna die because I I was actively suicidal at the time like I'd said to you like I'd just come off the the back of a 10-day bender 
um, like life wasn't good. I was essentially homeless and I was living in a city where I knew no one and I had systematically isolated myself from friends and family. So, yeah, you, you don't end up in AA because you get too pissed and fall over at a party once. You, you end up um, there when you hit a, a rock bottom and mine was a, an, an emotional, um, very, very emotionally hard rock bottom. Right, we're going to take a break there, folks, and we're just going to play another music track. I hope you enjoy this. Happy listening.
we're now going back to our uh, interview with Evelyn. This is the second part of her story. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. She's quite an amazing human being. Enjoy, folks. Well, Evelyn, so you hit your rock bottom. Now, mm-hmm. can you tell me, you know, your journey of recovery? Mm-hmm. How's that been? What's, what, what have you learned about yourself? Where are you going? So when I, when I first approached AA I had set myself a really low bar in recovery I mean I just wanted to not kill myself yes like you you get to that very dark very low place and um to me like it's almost as if the light at the end of the tunnel was almost extinguished like the light at the end of the tunnel looked like a star in the sky you know that that's how small small. it was yeah Mm. and what I found when I when I um came into the rooms of AA is um, I found hope again because I had lost hope and that's really scary to to lose hope um, yeah and things got different before they got better I didn't put down the drink and my life magically transform itself and I become this really well socially adjusted person <laughs> I'm very good at looking like I have where do you, know, you find life... those? Where do you find those people? <laughs> I don't know. I think they're a lie, personally. But, you know, I, I was always very... Because of working in hospitality, you have to be very, um, you know, like put on a facade. of Like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, to the customers. So so I was very good at appearing like I had my life together when inside it's all chaos. I so recognise that when you say you said that to me a little while ago and I recognised it immediately because I too was in hospitality for mm. you know, a couple of decades and it was normal to act happy and cheery and be there for others and help them because mm. you know, that's what hospitality service was all about. Yeah, so when you did hit your rock bottom tell me did you find that you were you've come into AA Mm. how did you find sharing it with friends and family that you discovered you're an alcoholic you've admitted you're an alcoholic you've got a disease you're not well did you find that you people came out of the woodwork that you didn't think would be accepting did you find it or did you feel like you were still lonely or alone I think as as an alcoholic our disposition is to feel lonely and alone Mm. until we until we make that connection with a higher power um but yeah I didn't actually tell my family or friends until I had about three months of sobriety up and how did you navigate that I just didn't did you stay away or I I systematically isolated myself from my family so they didn't really know what I was up to like they knew that I lived in a different city from them they knew that I had a job but they didn't really know anything else because I well, I you didn't just, want them to. No, no, and I just have emotionally distanced myself from my family for a long time ever as a survival and protective mechanism for myself just with my upbringing. Mm. And, you know, that is what it is. But, you know, so recovery has given me the opportunity to really um, to rebuild some of those bridges that I tried to burn, but also to, like, strengthen my own resolve and have more open and honest relationships with family members, which has been great. 
Well, honesty is one of the major things we learn, isn't it? Uh, yes, definitely. Because <laughs> I was definitely in denial about a lot of stuff when I um, came into um, the rooms of AA. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, been one of my biggest things too, and, and it's and it's an everyday an occur- occurrence for me mm. now. It's something I relish and respect about myself. Yeah, and I, I guess the reason I waited so long to tell my family is because I wanted to make sure that I could actually do it and keep it that I could actually stay sober and just knowing that hey look if I've got three almost four months up whether they um, are welcoming about it and supportive or kind of just push it to the side like is done so many times in my family with things just knowing that I have that resolve to Mm. still carry on in sobriety because I mean, I, I came into the rooms for myself. I didn't have, I didn't have a spouse. I don't have children. You know, I didn't have a mortgage. Um, I wasn't in a in a place of career. That's for sure. You know, so I def- I came into the rooms to save my own life, and there was n- there was nothing else. Um, I guess kind of influencing that pressuring you yeah 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 because you know um you hear in the rooms stories of people come in to save their marriage or to save their jobs and i just sit there and go wow i came into because i want i chose to live yes and and i wanted to live and what i was doing wasn't working and you know I'd, i'd already tried um you know different spirituality groups and I tried yoga and I tried you know diet lifestyle relationships education I tried all these different things to you know to to prove I'm not an alcoholic or to control my drinking and so none of those worked no this has worked for you When I was mentioning earlier the family and friends, how was their reaction? Have you um, found that you have built new friendships, or and or have you been able to maintain the old ones you had? Or um, the friends that I have, my perspective on you know the how I view friendship has shifted because when you're drinking, you kind of just want to be around people who drink like you and have the same mentality as you to enable you to have that behavior um whereas now i'm more likely to actually want to go to a family event to spend time with my family you know you'd said that to me three years ago i would have i would have laughed in your face you know yeah. sort of been like there's no way i'm going to go to that um so yeah it's i've definitely learned how to have you know, healthy relationships within my family unit and with, you know, friendships as well. Yeah, it's quite a, yeah. Well, and that's through learning about yourself, admitting yeah. things about yourself, finding yeah. your personal defects, I suppose. Is that... Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, and that's what we learn in the steps, I guess. Mm. You know, um, definitely doing that, that fearless and moral inventory, um, I wasn't scared about doing that. So for people who, who don't know, your step four is when you write a an inventory of yourself, of your, your, your defects of character and contributing factors and resentments that you have. And... Um, How does... Well, when you talk... You just mentioned something there that I'd like to 
sort of sidetrack onto is the um, resentments. Did you find yourself, once you worked through those resentments, that life has got lighter? Oh, definitely, definitely. And realising that resentments was a lot of why you drank as well, did you find that? Uh, It was a good excuse. Yes, excuse is a good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used, you know, yeah, resentments as an excuse to drink. To drink. And that caused a lot of denial within myself because it's really not that important, you know, like what other people think of you and if someone said the wrong thing to you or if you got cut off in traffic and I'd use all those things (laughs) as resentments or if you had the childhood I had or if you had the parents I had, you know, if you had the siblings I had. And it's just like at the end of the day... um, I, I learned how to take personal responsibility for myself and to be the own um, the own director the, of your life. Yeah, and just be in control of my form, you know, of my life. And actually, I am the one who is in charge of my happiness. Mm. So that you know, if I do things which are really wholesome, they're going to lead to a more happy and fulfilling life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so your family relationships are obviously mm. something you really respect and and have a lot better now yeah i mean and a lot of that has just come down to acceptance you know you you learn in the program that um if you have a disturbance with someone or something or some situation then you need to look at acceptance around that and for myself it was just accepting that you know um my parents did the best they could with what they had and yeah i mean when you're when you're a um teenager that's a really good excuse yes. to, to, to act out and be and you know as resentments but as you get older it's not not so much and I guess that's what people don't understand about alcoholics is that when we start drinking we you know that's the age that we start to stunt our emotional growth which is why we act like teenagers with our resentments towards people. Really nice yeah. point you've risen there, again, because they do, and it's one thing we do say is when you started drinking, that's sort of when you stopped your emotional growth. Oh, absolutely, definitely. I mean, I might look like an, an adult woman, but inside sometimes I do have the reaction of a 16-year-old, <laughs> and I'm coming to terms with that, and that's okay, and it's getting better. You know, because I'm pretty sure when I came into the rooms, I was a 12. Like, I had the emotional ability of a 12-year-old. Yeah, right. And that's through no moral failing of, you know, my, my parents. It's the nature of the disease yes. of alcoholism. Yes. And that's the thing that a lot of people, I think, don't understand is that it's a disease left untreated. It will kill. It, it will kill. It will yeah. run rampant and it will kill. Yeah. Yes. Because it, it is it is designed, Yeah. That's, that's yeah, it's designed to do that. I mean, that's what it is. It's yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, um, it's the devil. Mm. <laughs> so tell me, how is life now with your recovery? You, I, how do you look at it? I have a, the life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I, um, I am now starting at in in in, a, in the field which will give me a career. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I have just a Monday to Friday job, which is incredible because coming from hospitality, I worked, you know, three jobs, all different shifts. I'd be lucky if I had one full day off, you know, and, but again. And money in your pocket. Yeah. Never that. (laughs) Again, I engineered that, you know, to be like that and being able to have, 
you know, a salary income is just incredible. Yes. Having stability is, is incredible. Having a deeper understanding of myself, thanks to, um, yeah, recovery and the 12 steps. It's, um, yeah, life. It's, it's uh, um, inconceivable. Yes. Like, just the, the, the different, how bad it was. It just blows me away, you know, the, the life that I have today. I'm so glad for that too, though, because you come to meetings. I, I'm lucky enough to come to the odd meeting with Evelyn, and it's I get real enlightenment from you when you share. You may not know <laughs> that, and it's no, no it's uh, it's uh, everybody looks at life differently, folks. You're all yeah. sitting out there tonight. You're listening on the radio, and you're thinking, oh, you know, are you looking at the similarities with Evelyn's story or are you looking at the differences? Yeah. And one of the things that we find a lot when we come into the rooms is that we look at the differences and it's not until we look at the similarities yeah. that we start doing the work on ourselves. Oh, absolutely. I remember I went to my first convention and this gentleman got up, he would have been mid-50s, and his sharing, he had a very different life to me. But his sharing and just the, the, the things that he, you know, just the, the way that he um, looked at life and the experiences that he had, I could relate to on, you know, emotional levels. Mm. And that, that was incredible. I went up to him afterwards and said, thank you so much for sharing that because that's how I felt. He said part of his story was is that he worked at a gas station and he'd sit there, you know, and watch these people drive past and they would look happy and like they had their life together and he just didn't understand that he couldn't relate he thought that it was a facade you know and he explained so much of how I was feeling in such simple terms it was incredible so you're going to keep living this life oh absolutely nothing can drag me away I love it that's, it's, it's that's... What, why why change something which has given me so much Yes, you so know much, like yeah. I, I go to meetings because um, I need my medicine you know it's three hours a week and I get to I get to share the the crazy stuff that my head can think sometimes I get to listen to other people who have come before me and are still sober yeah and I get to listen to that experience strength and hope and I know that if I share in a meeting what's going on with me when it comes to the disease of alcoholism you know maybe there is someone in that room or knows someone can help me if I if, if I need help with a specific topic and that that gives me a lot of hope yeah well hope was how we started out this conversation that is what you were mm -hmm. looking for yeah. you'd lost it mm -hmm. you had none the black hole the yeah. tiny little dot yeah. and I'm so glad you took this journey I'm so glad thank you walked you. into that room because you're a wonderful person to know Aww. and I just want to say thank you very much for coming and chatting with me thank you for having me and sharing your story it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure thank you so much thanks <laughs> cheers I'd like to thank you all for being here with us this evening. It has been a pleasure doing this program, listening to Evelyn's story and and pondering on my first step into AA. I still wish that I had done it earlier uh, than my 49 years. Anyway, folks, I'd like to do our closing acknowledgements tonight. I'd like to thank you for spending the evening with me and remind you that if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. Um, you could call uh, us on the 0800 
line, which is 0800 AA Works. That's 0800 You can jump on our uh, website, which is aa.org. Dot nz. Now on there you will see listed meetings in every area of New Zealand. Uh, we alone have a lot of them down here. We have one, sometimes two every day. So please don't hesitate to jump on there and just walk in. We all had a first scary time. Uh, just go for it. It isn't actually as scary when you get in the rooms. You can also get hold of our intergroup, which is the uh, oversee of what we do at our meetings, etc. And that's AA Otago Intergroup. Our web address there is aaotago.org.nz. And if you'd like to send us something in the post, we always love that. So that is PO Box 6115, Dunedin North, in Dunedin 9059. So, folks, please take care of yourselves out there. Know that it's only just a phone call away to 0800 AA Works. You'll get another alcoholic on the end of the line. That's what we do. We are truly just alcoholics helping other alcoholics. So they will understand what you're talking about. Uh, They will have been there possibly, highly possible. So please do give us a call or see us in uh, one of the meetings. It would be great to see you. We're going to finish with a song this evening. Take care of yourselves out there. Mati wai, everyone. Until next time. Thank you.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.